and welcome to the Naturopathic Family Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Smith, a naturopathic physician on a mission to help individuals and families achieve health and wellness across the lifespan and throughout generations. Thank you for joining me today. I am so excited for you to join me today on this, the most microbiologically diverse episode of a podcast you probably ever listened to, at least of this podcast, the Naturopathic Family Podcast. I am excited to talk about fermented foods. And you might be wondering, why would you enjoy talking about food that is fermenting? And that kind of implies rotting, right? There are so many cool things about fermented foods, and you'll be actually amazed about how many fermented foods you actually probably eat on a daily basis without even realizing it. And I am excited to dive into this. This is a presentation that I recently gave in in my community in the Idaho Falls area, and it was amazingly received. There was a lot of people that attended, and I wanted to share this with more people. So I'm recording this uh, again for you to be able to listen to. Um, This is a PowerPoint presentation that I shared. So if you're listening in the audio version while you're driving or whatever, just note that there's going to be some things that you're not going to be able to see. I'll try to describe them the best I can. But ultimately, you'll get the same information. Um, But if you want to see the video, go on the video version on YouTube. Let's dive in. A little bit about me. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor in Idaho. I graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Done some other research training before that and um, love homeopathy. Um... I am the owner and provider at Focused Family Integrative Medicine. We're a family medicine clinic doing primary and adjunctive care, which means I can work with your other primary care doctor, doing full practice naturopathic medicine. I can talk to you about drugs. I can talk to you about um, imaging, referrals, so many things but really focusing on a lot of what I do is nutrition um, and all those foundations of health. And that's where this fits into the picture of what I do, looking at what we eat and how it affects our health. There are no conflicts of interest with this. It's always intended as educational and not as medical advice. As I was preparing this, I literally cleaned the library out of all the books about fermented foods. There's quite a few. These are two. I've got them here. Uh, these, uh, the Our Fermented Lives and the Art of Fermentation. Honestly, these are the books I want on my shelf, like to live on my shelf. Um, there's a ton of great information about fermented foods, about the science behind it, what's happening, but also a ton of really great recipes. We're going to talk about a few basic, the most common, at least in the Western American culture, but there are so many fermented foods that we can enjoy, and uh, these books dive into it amazingly. So I really recommend that. They're kind of the main source of my 
of the content for this, as I was researching this topic to put this presentation together, I really looked at these books, a bunch of others. I will put them all in the show notes um, in the YouTube video description, so you can go look at those amazing books as well uh, in your fermentation journey. Throwing it out there, what is a ferment? We might often think hear about that term, ferment, fermented, fermentation, but what is that and what's happening? Really, when we're talking about fermentation, there are actually seven different types of fermentation processes that are happening biologically, microbiologically, chemically, things like that. And there's different different foods that relate to each one that are made by each of those. The first is lactic acid fermentation. This is probably the most common. We see it in sauerkraut. We see it in kimchi, um, yogurt as well. There's alcohol fermentation. So any alcoholic beverage is made through alcoholic fermentation. There is acetic acid fermentation. The acetic acid is vinegar. So we think vinegar, think kombucha, although kombucha really em- embraces a lot of other fermentation processes as well. Um, I'm realizing I spelled, misspelled kombucha on my PowerPoint. That's embarrassing. Um, there's textured ve- vegetable proteins or tempeh. There's amino sauces. So think soy sauce, think fish sauce. There's a process of alkaline fermentation um, that's used to make foods like natto. And then there's the food that we probably eat the, the most is yeast leavened breads. So anything, anytime you add yeast to um, a bread product that you're making, uh, whether it's sourdough, whether it's sandwich bread, whatever, that's yeast. That's a form of fermentation that's happening. And we see all of that with, there's often microbio, micro microbes involved, that's the word, um, in these processes. Whether we're talking about yeast, which is more related to a fungus, whether it's bacteria that are doing the lactic acid fermentation, there's a lot of really great things involved. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of these, but I just wanted to share like the big picture. We're talking about a lot of different processes that are leading to all of this. Here's a diagram that shows kind of the process that we get when we take when we ingest glucose. Glucose is ultimately converted into a molecule called pyruvate. Pyruvate is uh, one of those intermediate molecules that can go and be turned into lots of different things. In normal processes, in in when we have oxygen in our bodies. Uh, that pyruvate is converted into acetyl-CoA, which goes into the citric acid cycle or Krebs cycle. And as I mentioned those words, you're probably remembering back to your high school or college biology class and just cringing inside. Maybe not. I hope not. Um, But really, the pyruvate is kind of that intermediate step. We can, in lactic acid fermentation, pyruvate is converted into lactate. And in doing so, it produces um, lactic acid, lactate, the same kind of thing. 
And that is what happens when our body needs energy really quickly. So when I was in school, I took the bus to school and sometimes I was running late. So I literally had to run because I was running late. And when I ran, it was a sprint, but it was going up a hill and carrying a backpack, sometimes my medical bag because I was in med school, and huffing and puffing till I got to the bus stop. When I got to the bus stop, I could feel my muscles were sore. I could feel that I was breathing really heavily. All of that is because of lactate or lactic acid. Um, when that builds up in our body, our body, our muscles don't like it. It's, it's, it kind of burns our muscles. That's why it, our muscles hurt when after we do a sprint or for something, for example. Um, and then our, our respiratory system kicks in and helps to clear that. So our body adapts pretty quickly, but it might take a good 10, 15 minutes. Pyruvate also can be converted into ethyl alcohol by uh, an enzyme called lact- alcohol dehydrogenase. And that often happens more in bacteria or fungi or yeast. Uh, that we don't, we don't have that process happen much in our body, but that happens in those microbes. Both of these are involved with uh, fermentation. On this is a collection of pictures. There's a lot of bacteria and yeast that are involved in in fermentation. I've listed here a couple: Lactobacillus that helps make sauerkraut, kimchi yogurt, Bifidobacterium, the yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kombucha, and Saccharomy- Saccharomyces boulardii, uh, which I, be- if I remember correctly, um, is more is related to yeast that's involved in the alcohol, bread alcohol, you might think beer, bread, rising, things like that. There's a lot of bacteria. They look cool under microscope. And really, I think it's important to remember our body is covered in bacteria. Our body has a ton of bacteria in it, mostly in our gut. Um, so any anywhere from our mouth to our esophagus, down to our stomach, our small intestines, there is so much. There are literally three pounds worth of bacteria in our body three pounds and it's a great thing it keeps everything in balance and we want bacteria um bacteria help digest food for us they give us things that they their their digested leftovers so to speak are actually really good for us um, having a lot of really good bacteria also helps us by um, preventing bad bacteria from growing out growing too much they kind of the good bacteria kind of crowd out the bad bacteria, so there's not enough room for the bad bacteria to live. So we we need good bacteria. We have, we have mold. We have there's yeast. It's all kept in balance. Our body's really good at keeping uh, keeping everything in balance. We often hear the words prebiotic, probiotic, postbiotic. Um, this uh, slide shows that the. the difference kind of between prebiotics and probiotics. Prebiotics are foods that bacteria eat. Simple as that. Um, The probiotics are bacterial bacterias themselves, the microorganisms found in our gut that we sometimes get through food. 
Um, the prebiotic foods might include bananas, soybeans, asparagus, leeks, bread, garlic, onions, artichokes, and the probiotic foods think fermented pickles, cheese, bitter chocolate, kefir, yogurt, uh, miso soup, uh, the ones listed on here. But there's so many others. The others, uh, other thing that's not on here is postbiotics. Postbiotics are the things that are created for, by bacteria that we want to have in our body. So we're talking mostly today about probiotics, but I did want to share some context that prebiotics are often important as well. Okay, so why would somebody want to ferment foods? Like why why were we even talking about this? And there are lots of reasons. Um, I think the number one reason that our the human species started fermenting foods, if you go back hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, is to preserve food. Food is, at least a long time ago, in the hunter-gatherer stage, in the, um, I think we can even go back further, if uh, depending on the sources, food is often scarce. And when we find something, we want to preserve it so that we can have it longer. And the societies and civilizations that could preserve food through periods of not growing through the winter, so to speak, were able to survive better than the, the civilizations and societies that uh, didn't have that access to food. My wife is an anthropologist. She rubs off on me quite a bit, actually. And when we're looking at those hunter gatherers, we need to we want to preserve that food, um, and I think that's still inherent within us. Um, preservation also allows for using all of the food that we eat. There's a couple examples of, um, in a book that I read uh, that mentioned, for example, turning apple scraps after you eat your apple or you peel an apple, and you have your core turning the rest of the scraps into apple cider vinegar. Or you got you, you're eating a fresh uh, head of broccoli. You cut off the leafy green parts, um, the leaves, so to speak, of your broccoli tree, and the rest of the trunk and the stems, branches, they're not as palatable. You can eat them, but if you shred them, you can turn them into sauerkraut, for example. It just allows us to use more food uh, than and not waste as much which is always a great thing. I pose this question, what are your favorite condiments? Think back to your fridge. What did you put on your meal, on your burger, when you had last? Think about, and then how many of them were fermented? I uh, love, there's this picture that I prompted an AI image generator to create of a bunch of condiments in a fridge. And, you know, with AI pictures, sometimes the text itself gets a little wonky. So it's kind of fun to see that. But if you think about condiments, it was amazing to me to realize how many condiments are fermented. We've got soy sauce that's fermented, fish sauce, or like that hoisin sauce that you put in pho or something like that ketchup, the vinegar, um, pickles, pickled relish, sauerkraut, your amino sauces, all of these are fermented. 
And I think it goes to show how fermentation really adds flavor. There's a lot of purposes to fermentation, one of them being pr uh, preservation of food, but this one talks where we can realize how the fermentation itself adds flavor. We've got the sour taste uh, that comes from vinegar and pickles, kimchi, salami, yogurt, um, that sour that it tingles your tongue when you eat it. Sweet fermentation. I was reminded that vanilla is a fermented spice. There is a, uh, the alcoholic beverage mead comes from uh, fermented honey. Wines as well from fermented grapes. Bitter fermentation, um, the flavors coming from cocoa, from coffee, all of those, those beans uh, that are... Uh, that are fermented. <coughs> Salt is abundant in fermented foods, probably maybe too much so, but it is always there. And then we have umami. Umami is a flavor you may or may not have heard of, but you've definitely tasted it. Umami is that flavor that you want more of. So think back to the last time you had cheap Chinese food and you just want more of it and it just tastes good and you it 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 just it, you just crave it. That umami is umami flavor. Um one of the main the main source of umami flavor is glutamate. Otherwise found abundantly in monosodium glutamate or MSG. MSG is sometimes often included in Chinese food. And I, I, and that's just from my experience. But umami is also found in other flavors as well. Um, I mentioned fish sauce, soy sauce, miso, but ketchup. Tomatoes have a lot of umami flavor to them. So we have a lot of flavor that comes from fermentation. One of the other benefits of fermentation literally is building community. We have the fermentation food culture, which is what we're talking about today with sauerkraut, sour foods, fermented foods. I need not go into the details of how much fermented beverages or alcohol leads to a the drinking community of how you want to go how many people go to a bar to share a drink with a friend and that builds community regardless on your um uh, actual opinion on, on alcohol i think that we can definitely see that and then they're sharing fermented foods uh i was i, I have to smile I, I i love the idea of this amish friendship bread um same thing with sourdough starters we take a starter and we, we make bread from it, but before we bake it, we take a little bit out so it can keep growing. We divide some, we share it with our friends, and it it's allows this fermentation to literally be preserved through a community. I love this quote uh, from this book, Our Fermented Lives by Julius Skinner. Fermentation equals community and relies entirely on relationship. The relationship between the maker and the microbe and between the microbes themselves. And I also would add the, the community, the relationship between people as well.
I I hinted this at the beginning, but fermentation is really an international tradition. I found this amazing infographic um, from the website how to cook dot how to cook recipes, showing thirty six fermented foods from around the world, uh, and. There are so many from so many cultures, and some of them I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it's just amazing to see how many cultures have incorporated fermented foods into their diet, um, into their food culture. I think it's amazing. So now, really, kind of the meat of what we're talking about today is that the health benefits of ferments. Now, Going into it, there's giving a big caveat is that we really can't say that eating one type of fermented food will cure or treat any certain type of disease. These foods have been studied. There are studies and relationships that have been established. They may or may not be very strong depending on the strength of the study and the research. But we're going to look into those and look at what's been synthesized about that. And anecdotally, I think we can look into how fermented foods help us feel. And really, I think that's the best research study that we could ever do is to try something. And that's applying the scientific method in our own lives. Like, I think this is going to taste good or help me feel better. So I try it and it we notice how we feel, which is pretty cool. Going from the big caveat to the big picture, we have a ton of bacteria in our gut, as I mentioned earlier. When it's out of balance, we get dysbiosis. Um, we get symptoms of colon cancer, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. There's obesity. There's so many other things that can come from uh, gut dysbiosis or when bacteria, different types of bacteria are in the wrong proportions in our body. However, when everything is right, it's really, uh, there's there's less inflammation. Our body's able to process sugar better. Uh, we've got a lot of other benefits that are highlighted and we can get a lot out of our food because of the bacteria are in a healthy spot as well. These are the main mechanisms by which I have found that fermented foods help support our body. Number one, that helps with the digestion of food. If we're eating foods that are fermented, we're getting extra doses of bacteria in our, in our gut. That's going to help break down that food even better. It's going to help with the metabolism of those nutrients as we try to assimilate them into from our gut into our bloodstream and into the cell the rest of other cells in our body we also um, find benefit in our immune system and in strengthening that gut brain connection that exists and overall in helping with inflammation as well there are some different differing ideas based on if I take probiotics, are they going to help repopulate the gut if they last? Uh, uh, if there was like low, for example, low uh, bacteria levels in my gut, if I take probiotics, are those going to come back to normal? And I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of two differing worlds right now. I've seen things saying that, yes, it's going to help. 
and also saying, no, it's just going to keep going through. I need to do continue my research and learning on the subject. But I kind of am at a middle point right now where if we have probiotics, whether it's a capsule or whether it's a probiotic food, which is probably even better, uh, those probiotics are going to stay in our gut for at least a, a minute, a, a little while, a few days, perhaps. I, um, and while they're there, they're going to exert some positive influence. The reason I say that is my of my hesitancy of of saying that bacteria are going to repopulate the gut is that our body's really good at keeping itself in balance, and bacteria are keep it good at really good at keeping themselves in balance. And when we introduce something else, it's not just going to like suddenly explode because there's only so much real estate for bacteria to live in. It's going to keep everything in balance. And but bacteria, but have eating these foods are can only help at least even transiently. And if we do it regularly, we continually get that benefit. Starting off with fermented grains or breads, uh, I think the most common one I think of is sourdough. That fermentation of putting bacteria into a bread dough, so to speak, allows for some pre-digestion of those grains, of that flour. Nutrients become more bioavailable, easier to assimilate into our body. And interestingly, that bacteria also helps the bread become more shelf stable for longer. Back in the day when that when homemade bread was the only option, the, that's what they, they'd have to figure out ways of preserving their bread longer. Now, in the days of mass production of bread at huge bakeries, we uh, there's often preservatives added because the bread needs to be produced. We don't have that time to let it rise, to let it ferment, to let it sit and um, get that wonderful sourdoughy vibe going on. And so we have preservatives, but bacteria do the same thing. We just a matter of how much time we're able to uh, spend in that process. Here's an interesting diagram from a study about fermented grains when they come together, there is a liberation of bound compounds and formation of new bioactive compounds, um, things that are really good for our bodies that come from when back to when grains, whether it's wheat, rice, corn, barley, sorghum, millet, oats, come together in a, in, the, in a party with the bacteria, the yeast, the fungi, they're fermented. There's a lot of benefits that come from that. And this diagram shows the different, some highlights um, from this study uh, from 2022, different benefits that come from fermented, specifically with fermented grains. It increases antioxidant activity, helps uh, improve insulin resistance, uh, prevent hyperglycemia or high blood sugar, um, helps regulate lipid metabolism. All of those things kind of help prevent, uh, have some anti-obesity activity to it by inhibiting cancer cell proliferation and stimulating cancer cells to die. Uh, that's apoptosis. Um, fermented foods 
for specifically fermented grains have been studied uh, shown to have some anti-cancer activity. There is some immunomodulation activity helps our strengthen our immune system, and overall, to increase uh, or decrease rather inflammatory cytokines and decrease the ability for inflammation to happen overall. Switching over a little bit to fermented dairy now, I think the most common one that we think of, at least I think of, is yogurt. But cheese is also aged. It's fermented in a way. And it's been shown in in some studies that individuals with lactose intolerance may do better eating fermented milk, such as yogurt, by rather than eating plain yogurt themselves bacteria help in that probiotic form of yogurt help with the absorption of calcium and overall as we mentioned with the grains in supporting the immune system the innate and adaptive immune system and also gi health the health of our gut and our ability to process food i had the opportunity to travel to Sweden now about almost 12 years ago. And Sweden is important, especially for me, because my great-grandparents immigrated from Sweden to Canada 100 years ago last year. It was 1923. They got on a ship from their small town in northern Sweden, going down to Stockholm, then to Liverpool, then to Canada, and... I had the chance to go see where they were from. And on that trip, I was ex- was introduced to drinkable yogurt, Swedish drinkable yogurt, much like what we have with kefir. They called it, and I'm probably going to butcher it because I don't speak Swedish that well, um, film, film yolk. Um, and this is from drinkable yogurt. It's very thin and very runny, but you can... but putting it with other foods, uh, the like breakfast, that parfait type idea. This this is a picture on this uh, of a uh, smorgasbord um, breakfast at a Swedish hotel that we stayed at. So it's commonly used. It's, it's found in the grocery store. There's a lot of it. And um, one thing about this film yolk, this um, fermented yogurt, milk, so to speak, is is that in my grandparents' house growing up, there was this uh, long milk bowl, this film yolk stall, um, as, I, as it's called, and I don't know if that's pronounced exactly correctly. Nevertheless, this really long, thick, like not very thick, but kind of flattish bowl with little with the lip, little sides lifting up a little bit, where they would put put the yogurt, this dairy, this milk, out, and they would ferment. And this picture is a picture of my great great grandparents' house in a small town in northern Sweden, and this was painted on a long milk bowl, this flat bowl thing. And it hung in my grandparents' house for so many years. And it's really special to me. Interestingly, 
um, to, uh, two of my uncles went back to Sweden last year, and they found the exact replica of this, this land of a sister um, long milk bowl in, a, in that house in in this small town in northern Sweden. So it's really interesting. For me, it's fermented dairy is a part of my family history, and I absolutely love that. Okay, so that's enough of, of fermented dairy and the northern European tangent. Switching gears to fermented beverages, we often, when we think of fermented beverages, there's vinegar, there's kombucha, and there's alcohol. And each of those are formed by different fermentation methods. Kombucha really requires a, what's called a SCOBY. A SCOBY sounds cool, reminds me of like Scooby-Doo, uh, but it really is an acronym for the symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And symbiotic means that bacteria and yeast are working together to produce this fermentation process and to help with this breakdown of tea, which is what fermentation, which is how much kombucha is, is fermented tea. Um, so we have scobies. Vinegar is interesting. I really, uh, Vinegar can help stimulate digestion, and as a physician, I have recommended that to patients to take a little bit of apple cider vinegar before the meal to help say, hey, stomach, got some food coming down in a few minutes, start getting ready, and it helps stimulate that digestive processes. So there's a lot of different uh, benefits that can come from that. This, There are lots of benefits that come from fermented uh, fermented foods generally. And the same is no different than with kombucha. This is a diagram um, that I found in a study highlighting the, the some of the, ben- the differences between kombucha and kefir. But really, uh, a lot of the health benefits, which we've really talked about, antioxidants, reducing blood pressure and cholesterol, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, um, antimicrobial, anti-diuretic and detoxification. There's just a lot of benefits, generally, that have been studied in the literature. Um, But we we really can't say that by eating XYZ food, we're going to get XYZ benefit. Um, There was was an example of a yogurt company who a while back put a, a label on their probiotic yogurt helps with treating this. Really, that's not a good labeling, and they were slapped on the wrist because of it, um, because we can't definitively say that, um, and then we get into regulatory stuff. And that's not the purpose of this presentation. Going into fermented vegetables, I think the most common ones that I think about are kimchi, sauerkraut, and pickles. And a lot of this fermentation happens because of the natural bacteria that are on the surface of the vegetables themselves. So when we're making sauerkraut, we're taking uh, cabbage leaves and chopping them up, putting them in a jar with some salt, and there's bacteria that are on that leaf, those leaves. They're going to interact with the juices and start in that fermenting processes. When we're thinking about pickles, there are a difference between Fermented pickles and non-fermented pickles. Non-fermented pickles are anything you see at the grocery store, oftentimes made by large 
food production companies and that have been often like fresh they're they're fresh packed pickled there's brine there's vinegar that's added to it and they are pickled but not in a fermented way fermented pickles where are when we simply add salt and water put it in a jar and let it sit at room temperature and then over time those pickles will ferment themselves uh, we need to be careful about salt content. Pickles can have a lot of salt in them. But just remember that not all pickles are created equal. Sauerkraut is amazing. I uh, started falling in love with sauerkraut just a couple months ago, actually. My wife got some and she started eating it. Then I'm like, oh, I'll eat more of it and eat more of it. And I absolutely end up loving it. And... It's great because it helps balance the secretions of stomach acids, uh, things that come from the stomach, helps with the formation of enzymes and vitamins, strengthens uh, function of pancreas, improved digestion of fat. And these are from a book uh, that I love. It's called Healing with Whole Foods by Paul Pitchford. And he talks about how it's best if these are eaten sauerkraut is eaten on a daily basis for the maximum benefit kind of continually introducing our body to that fermented food he recommends starting off with one tablespoon with your meal uh, working it up to maybe a quarter cup and no not a lot quarter cup is really not that much but just as a nice side you can also put uh, sauerkraut in salads i um one of my mentors she loved to put sauerkraut in salad and other foods and she would make her own sauerkraut with not only cabbage but carrots and other vegetables as well sauerkraut is really versatile there's so many different options of how we can do it uh, my brother introduced me to the this uh, called mugolio which is fermented pine cone syrup and uh, I understand it's of Italian origin, basically taking green pine cones where there's a lot of bacteria still on them and packing them in sugar. And here's a picture of him packing it in different types of sugar, different types of pine cones, and ultimately ending up with this really sweet syrup that almost tastes, that's just as sweet as like honey or maple syrup. Um, particularly more maple syrup flavor, like that kind of flavor. It's really good. And uh, it comes from fermentation as well, fermented vegetables, just in a different spin. Um, I had the chance to make sauerkraut, going back to sauerkraut, uh, a while back. And it's I realized how super simple it is to make. We have a recipe of, they're called tlayudas. I don't know if you've heard that, T L. Y-A-U-D-A, Tlaudas. Um, could have spelled that wrong. Nevertheless, there's a Mexican uh, pizza, or it originates in the Oaxaca area of Mexico, tortilla, black bean paste with vegetables, uh, and meat and cheese, Oaxaca cheese, uh, on top of it, kind of a pizza-type concept. It's really amazing. Our family loves it super simple meal and one of the things we get for it is red cabbage uh, but after having red cabbage we cut off like a quarter of it and sliced it up for our tlayudas but then we had three quarters of a head of cabbage left just sitting in our fridge so I'm like okay that's enough I'm gonna make sauerkraut so I did 
Um, I would recommend letting it come to room temperature first because you're touching it. It gets cold. My hands got cold. Nevertheless, I survived. Shredding it, we've got a mandolin slicer thingy. I just shredded it really, really thinly, finely. I added some garlic to it. Added some salt for about the three quarters of a head of cabbage. I added about a tablespoon and a half of salt of, of sorts. And then different recipes will say different things. Um, but for what I did, I massaged, that, that's I think the, literally the word, massaged the salt into the cabbage. This is again where I'd recommend having it at room temperature because it got pretty cold. But what, what the salt does is the salt pulls out the juices from the cabbage and it starts to that, which is what is going to help with that fermentation process. And one other recipe I found in researching for this presentation uh, actually called for, suggest, suggested that you could let the salt and the shredded cabbage just sit for like 20 minutes on the countertop and it'll start drawing out the juices already and then you can massage it from there. Ultimately, you end up with a lot of cabbage in kind of some some cabbage juice. After that, pack it into a jar really tightly to get rid of as many air bubbles, putting the leaf, saving out one of the leaves ahead of time, putting that on top, and on a lot of many recipes or processes will call for a weight, really just to keep it packed down. You want all of the vegetables in a ferment to be below that level of the brine. If the if the vegetables are sticking up, then it's a it's an opportunity for mold and, and fungus to grow, um, yeast to grow things like that. So we want to keep keep it everything below the liquid, and then let it sit on. The, I let it sit on the counter for a week. Literally, that's all I did. Um, and letting it, oh, and this is in a mason jar, uh, a quart mason jar, and letting the air, letting the lid either be loose or loosening it every couple days to let it burp because it's producing gas. Fermentation is producing gas. So we need to let it, let that gas out of the fermentation vessel in this case, which, which for me is a mason jar. Uh, one question I got when I was giving this presentation was how much salt do I know that I need to have? And kind of related, when do I know it's done? Now, I can't say that I'm an expert at fermentation yet. I hope I can be someday. But everything I've read so far suggests that the best measure of success with fermentation is actually taste. You want it to, like right when you make it, you want it to taste salty, but not like overwhelmingly salty, like really good salt. Over time, you just taste it every now and then, and you can see how ready it is, how done it is. Keep it in the fridge after that. It's going to be great. I love the idea for me, I love the idea that using fermented foods helps with mindful eating. Mindful eating as I mentioned in uh, the previous podcast episode um, presentation on the science of eating, really brings mindfulness to our eating processes, slowing down, enjoying things. It's kind of like the if you were to combine like meditation with eating, you'd get mindful eating. But it's really being present with ourselves and our food. And cooking with fermented foods allows us to be more mindful. This quote from 
um, uh, Sandor Alex Kotz, who wrote The Art of Fermentation, this orange book that I, I love, he says that culture begins with cultivating the land, planting seeds, and bringing intentionality to cycles that we act to perpetuate. Really, that for me embodies the idea of mindful eating. And I think it, it is because now I go to the, the fridge, I see the sauerkraut that I made. I feel proud about it. I want to eat it. And it's really a cool experience. I invite you to, to try that. There's a lot of different ways of incorporating fermented foods into our diet. I hope this has helped you learn about that. Ultimately, though, you'll need to decide that you want to try fermented foods and then try them adapt, see what works for you. And then as you get more comfortable, create, try new things, experiment. Um, I think that's how all fermentation recipes came out was because of experimentation and trying and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Not every batch of sauerkraut you make may be perfect, but I think it'll, but you'll get used to it over time and you'll figure out the really the best way of doing it. Now, a quick note, when would you not want to eat fermentable foods? We talked about all these health benefits of reasons why you would, but why would you not want to? Over the my clinical practice experience, I've interfaced with several patients actually who have had histamine intolerance. Histamine is a molecule in our body that modulates the nervous system, the immune system, and the endocrine system. Every time you get a mosquito bite, that little swelling that comes that's because of histamine that's why we take an antihistamine called benadryl uh, to help counteract that histamine histamine manifests itself in the allergic responses we get the runny nose the itchy eyes like all of the itchy skin rashes things like that all of that comes from histamine and some, for some people their histamine levels are through the roof they're, they're on overdrive. Fermented foods create a lot of histamine. Anything that sits on the on the in the fridge a really long time creates histamine. Even I saw a study a while back that studied histamine levels on spinach in the refrigerator. So like you get your bag or container of spinach, stick it in the fridge. If you just let it sit there for a long time, it's just gonna grow, it's gonna develop histamine. And so we want to make sure that for people who are already high in histamine, we don't want to to cause that to explode even further. I've been in a clinical setting where I am debating because I'm like, okay, this person needs the probiotics that come from fermented foods, but at the same time, they're really struggling with histamine so I can't really recommend per, per, probiotic foods, these fermented foods. So I, it's, it's this tricky balance that we need to find. One other note about nitrate. Nitrates are often added to cured and processed meats. When I think of that, I think of sliced, sliced deli meat, think of salami. And really, they're added to prevent the growth of harmful bacteria. They add a salty flavor to it. However, Nitrates are broken down into nitrites in our body, I-T-E, and that, when inter interacting with other molecules from food, can lead to making carcinogens or chemicals that can lead to cancer growth. 
There's also a lot of studies that have correlated eating high amounts of processed meats, including red meat, to heart disease. So I'm sharing this just as an FYI, that nitrates might not always be the best thing for our body, even though fermented foods might be. So just something to keep in mind. So ultimately leaving with an invitation to try fermented foods, try eating them, try making them, and try sharing them. Really, we're, we're looking, working toward that community, that community with us and our, the gut microbiomes in our gut, the community within the, the microbiomes themselves, and that community, that relationship with each other and those that we love and interact with on a regular basis. Closing off with the words of Hippocrates, the, the natural forces within us are the true healers of disease. I'll say that again. Natural forces within us are the true healers of disease. I love that because we often think about there's the natural vitality that we have in our body, a body's ability to heal itself. And perhaps I think that's what he's referring to in part. But also I think he's referring might perhaps, as it's been suggested in some other by some other authors, that really the natural forces within us are, could be and are those bacteria um, that live in our gut, that live in our skin, that live all around us, that really help promote our health. And by eating fermented foods, we can get the most out of them. I hope you've gotten the most out of this um, presentation. It's been an absolute joy to share it, to learn a lot myself, and get me excited to eat more fermented foods. I hope it's done the same for you. So with that, happy fermenting and bon appetit. Thanks so much for listening to the Naturopathic Family Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, don't hesitate to share it with a friend that might benefit from this as well. And we'll see you next time.